From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning. Focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour as we launch our 24th year on the air. Thanks to so many people who uh, got us going and uh, thanks to you, the listeners, uh, which is why we do this show. Uh, this indeed is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we're glad today to be welcoming uh, in Herman Barahona. I hope I pronounced that correctly. That's correct. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming. Uh, you have some exciting news. Tell us a little bit about yourself first. Uh, my name is Herman Barahona. I'm the community organizer for the Sacramento Environmental Justice Coalition. Uh, we're a you know, small group of um, faith-based leaders and nonprofit uh, organizations focused on environmental issues here in Sacramento. And um, uh, we've done, we got the notice, uh, a nice notification last Friday. It was a great surprise from Carol Kinzer, who's on the Care for Creation Committee here mm -hmm. in the diocese, that um, uh, I'm going to be getting, I guess, an individual award for yes. the, uh, the Catholic Catholic co co uh, Covenant, I think uh, it's Laudato Si Award. The Laudato Si Champion Award. Wow, that, that's a lot of uh, uh, that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's that's kind of like the top honor. That's a wonderful thing. It, it's um, it's really an award for all the folks that have been working with me for the last couple of years. These are volunteers from all walks of life and the streets of Sacramento, and so it, it's it's an honor to to represent them uh, tomorrow night. Uh, and I think, yeah, you're going to get the award tomorrow night mm -hmm. via Zoom, I guess. Yes, uh, the, I guess there's a Catholic Climate Covenant Conference mm -hmm. uh, that'll be uh, in Washington D.C., and uh, of course, I, I can definitely zoom in. And uh, we've invited a few of our uh, our leaders leaders from the uh, leadership committee and the organization to to attend. And it's all uh, sponsored by by I guess the USCC, the uh, uh, US Conference of Catholic Bishops, USCCB, yes, Creighton University out of uh, Omaha as well is in is involved in this. And talk about the Catholic Climate Covenant. What is that? Uh, well, I'm not very familiar with the organization, but they are big promoters, of course, of protecting creation. Uh, Laudato Si, as you know, when Pope Francis uh, wrote the encyclical, has inspired many people across the globe to take action. And, and Climate Covenant is one of them, and they're a national organization. Uh, I made him very popular among, I mean, among non-Catholics as well, uh, who care about the environment. Um, and uh, has, I mean, the, the Pope has always been a, a world leader, uh, you know, a, a world moral leader, if you will. Yes. But this one is really crossed over, I think. Uh, Laudato Si. I think some people, whoa, the Catholic Pope is writing about this. Yeah. You know, is talking about this and, and making it, you know, not his number one priority, but a high priority. A very high priority. Uh, I mean, for me, I think that uh, you know it's such a universal message coming from the universal church, right? That's so, right. It, it's incredibly powerful, uh, and it, and it really touches on the themes of how our, our modern society has um, has lost its way, and we need to find God in our conversations again to figure out how to retrieve that the commitment we had with the covenant, and um, I think that the 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 
we see it every day here in the streets of Sacramento mm -hmm. and other parts of the world with what's happening to climate change and what's happening to vulnerable families. Uh, we, we know that we need to really reconnect and figure out how to reweave that relationship with God. Yeah, you know, putting God in the conversation, boy, that, that, that holds for everything. Um, I think we've, we've gotten so far away from that in, in a ver variety of things that, um, you know, if, if we put God into the conversation, put God first, you know, the, that old, old expression, you know, what would Jesus do? Yeah. Um, uh, which, you know, got sold a lot of coffee mugs, but yeah. it, it was very relevant. You yes. know, I mean, it's, a, that's a, it's, it's very poignant. You know, that's, that's real simple. What would Jesus do? You know? Yes. What would, what would God do? What, you know, this is God's creation. Yeah, and God reminds us every day that uh, we need to reconnect. Uh, um, I was just meeting with, um, uh, this weekend, with a 72-year-old homeless woman by the name of Ruby. Uh, she lives in a tent uh, in, near Miller Park here in Sacramento. Right on the river. Um, I took a temperature gun with me to figure out uh, the temperature with inside her tent. Hmm. It was 111 degrees oh my gosh. inside her and tent. This is probably a day of maybe 95 or something. It was maybe. 105 outside. Outside, so yeah. the tent's even hotter. It's hotter. Yeah. And, and, of course, when I asked her, Ruby, oh, why don't you get out of the tent, walk around, get some water? And I do that, uh, but I need an umbrella for that. So she's just an umbrella. She's a very frail 72-year-old lady. Wow. Um, and when I used the temperature uh, gun again to measure the, the, the asphalt where she's walking uh, with sandals, uh, it's 144 degrees. Yes, you, could, you literally could not walk on that in bare feet. Yeah. You would badly burn yourself. Yes. Yeah. And, and so this kind of extreme weather pattern and, and this idea in Laudato see that we have to protect human dignity and we, cannot, and we have to walk away from this culture of discarding people. Uh, uh, it's very close to, to, to us and the organization, uh, and this is why we do what we do. Well, the, you know, it's, it's always the, the marginalized, if you want a better word, that feel the effects more than, you know, people of means have, have ways of <laughs> yes. sort of protecting themselves from some yes. of it. Um, whereas, uh, and it isn't just people of I mean, I was looking at the Phoenix, which has had, uh, I think, I'm counting the days now, about 25 straight days now. Oh, yes. Well, you know, Phoenix is hot, but of 110 or higher, mm -hmm. which is an all-time record. And the lowest it's been at night in the last week is 96. Yeah. I mean, the, so you're, you're ranging from 96 to about 119 in Phoenix for almost a month now. Yes. And they... The figure I read was a quarter of the people in Phoenix have no access to air conditioning. And we're not yep. talking about homeless people. Mm -hmm. we're I mean, you say her tent's 111, and, and their homes are 119, yeah. you know, or, or they're yeah. wherever they're living. Yeah, we are seeing an increase in, in extreme weather patterns, and, and this is why uh, intervention is needed and, and uh, reflection to um, – figure out how we can uh, create more resilience among our most vulnerable families anywhere in the globe. Uh, we have situations in other parts of the, of the planet where they can no longer inhabit those uh, specific places, uh, whether it's an island that's going underwater or a desert that just doesn't have any access to life anymore. Uh, and th that forced migration and, and what we're seeing here in Sacramento, right? We're seeing uh, over 10,000 
homeless people migrating from place to place all over a the dramatic county. Dramatic increase in yeah. all, at, at least just yeah. from a, a, a I guess a, a layman's view, you know, just seeing it, it seems like a dramatic increase in homelessness. It is. It is. And there are root causes for that. And this is what the Saki JC is working on. It's figuring out these very details that uh, maybe most people uh, don't catch and why people are becoming homeless. One of the things that we tell our, our folks when we do our workshops, uh, there are 580,000 people in public assistance in Sacramento County. That's a little bit over a third of the entire population. Uh, that what that means for Sacramento numbers is they earn less than two thousand dollars per month. The average rent right now here in Sacramento is twenty five hundred for a two bedroom. Right. So so we know that there's a pipeline that we need to address uh, where families are are in, in a very tough spot whether they're choosing to pay for medicines, food, or pay yeah, the rent. You shouldn't be paying more than about a third of your income <laughs> for rent. Ideally, I mean, not, not yes. like well, okay, I make twenty five hundred and the rent's twenty five hundred. I'm I'm good. No, yeah. you, you got nothing left. Yeah, and so so when we have these these numbers of, of vulnerable families living on the edge, uh, and with the climate changes that are happening, uh, we have to rethink the way we shelter people. Then we have to rethink housing. Uh, and, and that's part of Laudato Si. In fact, Pope Francis mentions in Laudato Si that wherever the unhoused are, develop it instead of shooing them away, right? Figure out a way to build housing for them. And he was referring to the, you know, the favelas or the, uh, or the, the shanty towns that sure. are across the planet. Sure. But it makes sense here when you look at um, a place like Camp Resolution, which is in Del Paso Heights. There are 61 people living there. Um, and no electricity, no water, uh, and, and but they've made it livable. They they figure out a way to uh, to find food and and a little bit of shelter with the city and county assistance. Uh, so but there how, are more things that could be done. How is that? How is that different than what just what we see on the street? Just you know, just people just literally camping there. Well, Camp Resolution is the first of its kind where the city has allowed a city-owned lot to be occupied by the homeless. Uh, there are some restrictions, of course, in how many people can come into that camp. It's about an acre and a half lot. Um, and uh, there are no nonprofits providing services there, but there are some that drop by and provide mm -hmm. uh, first aid assistance. Right. The Saki JC, we brought a solar trailer where we provide electricity uh, to for cooling purposes, right? If they need to use fans or charge right. their phones, um, but we're a small organization, so we decided to do the whole Carney uh, thing, where we're gonna uh, take the solar panels all over town to provide relief and respite mm -hmm. in specific areas during the heat wave. Uh, what the city is looking to do is to duplicate this effort and bring in the kinds of resources that are needed to keep people alive. Uh, and because of the extreme weather patterns, of course, uh, that's a major concern for the county. The county uh, cremated 334 people, indigent persons, last year. Mm. And the reasons for that vary, right? But most of them, over 200, was because of the exposure to the elements. Sure. Yeah. So, so we know that there's, uh, that, that, that there's a major need for institutions, communities, uh, uh, community organizations, the church, to, to get involved and figure out how to contribute to this idea of, of pr preserving life and creating hope for a lot of these folks. Yeah, that's part of being pro-life yes. as well. Amen to that. Very uh, definitely. That, that's definitely part of this conversation, too. Yeah. Is, is So the 
I've read about uh, Los Angeles and Portland have started. It's it's a private nonprofit that provides it, but it's it's. I think in, in Los Angeles it's actually tents, but they're not tents that the homeless provide. They are tents that this, the organization provides uh, on a massive scale, uh, on platforms, and there's 24 hours of, of um, supervision or uh, yes. staff there 24 hours. There's food available 24 hours, or at least you know from seven the to three ten or squares something. or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, uh, you know, everything is, you know, there's maintenance, there's everything, it's fenced off. Um, and, but I mean, the, the, the people living there can come and go. I mean, there's no restrictions on them. And then Portland, I guess, has hired this group. But because of the weather in Portland, they're doing it with what do they call mini houses or mm. the, the small houses, very, you know, small but functional, mm-hmm. air conditioned, heated. Um, and yeah, they're doing it so it, it doesn't take up any more space than the tents. Might even take up less space than the tents it, on a massive scale, though. Like maybe there's four or five hundred in one, like what you one lot, yeah. And but at considerable cost. Yes, it, it, we are exploring all of this. We we work in partnership with a champion here in town, mm-hmm. a, a true champion of the homeless is the Sacramento Homeless Union. They've really taught our folks. What's going now, on? Who are they? The Sacramento Homeless Union is made up by homeless folks, uh, people who have faced, have real life experience, and what it's like to live on the streets. They pull themselves together into a union, an association of some sort. They got themselves a civil rights attorney, and that's how Camper Solution came to be. Um, but they they are having conversations with with the county and the city to figure out which model will be best under the circumstances that we face here in Sacramento, right? The flooding, the rains, the the extreme heat. Um, And there are conversations about how restrictive these camps can be or or should be or or shouldn't be. Um, I went to a local camp at Miller Park that um, has very high restrictions. Uh, The city is is piloting that project too, and they're mostly tents and a few RV trailers. I went during the day to visit one of the unhoused the, that resides there, and I wasn't allowed in. I had to come back another day. Uh, so for me, that was very strange because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it felt like I was visiting somebody in the local jail right? Uh, because uh, they should have some freedom of movement right. or people coming to see them. Uh, we have grandparents or parents sure. who actually whose relatives come to see them at the camps. Uh, and those are the kinds of things that we need to figure out how to make good policy that respects human dignity, of course, but at the same time provides the kind of structure that's needed to, to you know, to keep the bad stuff out of the camps, right? Uh, the drug trade is huge here, uh, uh, and people who need lots of assistance uh, from social services because of mental health issues. So um, I think there's got to be a healthy balance somewhere in between to be able to provide the kind of protections and, and, and hope for, for families that are in the streets. Yeah, as, as the homeless numbers have increased, I've noticed, and I don't know if, well, and, and some cities have actually done polling. I'm, I'm sensing less sympathy toward the homeless. Uh, people are, it's like, okay, you know, I'm sympathetic. It's always not in my neighborhood, kind of, <laughs> you know. We hear that yes. a lot. You know, we, we're yeah. in favor of building that new homeless whatever. 
but not we're not in my neighborhood. How about that neighborhood? You know, but but I'm sensing as it's gotten to be much more visual, much more um, um, numbers mm-hmm. that people have decided they want it stopped. You know, but they don't have a solution. How do you how do you stop it? How do you house all these people? Um, I think the answers are in Laudato Si. Uh, mm-hmm. This is what inspires me to, to do this work. The, the market forces have decided to discard a certain percentage of the population because they're no longer functional for the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, we have people on disability uh, who receive about $1,000 a month. There is no way that anybody can pay a rent with that the, kind of it, income. Uh, it, I, 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 um, I yeah. researched uh, Social Security Disability, yeah. or SSI, I guess, um, yeah. one day um, to write an article about it. And I was stunned. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you know, it, it, some, sometimes people sometimes disparage and they say, oh, he's on disability. You know, he doesn't have to work. He's, you know, he's not that sick or whatever, you know, but he's, you know, in the gaming the system. And I'm like... Yeah, they're not getting not getting rich get, off of it. No, I mean the average payment, like you say, is right around a thousand dollars a month. That's yes. it. That's that's it. That's the whole deal. Mm-hmm. And um, because they receive SSI, they're not eligible for food stamps, right? right. Uh, and so right. now and, they and if if they and they can only get it if if they're unable to work. You know, there's there's I mean there's restrictions there's on very that. Very tough too. restrictions. There. Yeah, and yeah. so it's like. Wow, you'll hear some say, "Well, if I work too much, then I lose the SSI." You know, and it's like, which is true too. If you if you receive a certain amount of income, uh, then then you lose your SSI. Many of the folks that have applied for SSI take up to one to two years to get even uh, eligible to to get the process done. The backlog, and 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 then even some of the people making the decisions about it truly not. They're not medical professionals, yeah. and and uh, the Washington Post did an excellent series on on that on the backlogs and and the people who get denied. They want to get denied so they can appeal it because then they're going in front of a judge. Yeah, you know. But the process. Uh, what do you do in the meantime? It could be two years. Yeah, and and longer. And for somebody who's unfortunately the narrative out there is that you have this really functional human being that's unnecessary. That's not true. Yeah. There is a reason why they're experiencing different kinds of disabilities, whether it was a stroke uh, or, or accident in the workplace, head injuries, uh, trauma of some sort. That way. Exactly. Yeah, those are the kinds of things that uh, you can't really just uh, assess by looking at a person. Right. And, and so uh, those are the most vulnerable families that we worry about out here and, and with Saki JC because of the extreme weather patterns. We know that uh, it's really tough for them to get housing. In fact, what we're also finding out is the landlords, certain landlords, whether they're commercial landlords or nonprofit landlords, um, when they evict a person on disabilities because of whatever may have gone wrong in the residential right. experience, these persons will not come back to housing. Right. Uh, we have a person that's a severe neurological disorder, and we got this person an, an attorney to defend herself uh, to find that there were technical errors why she was being evicted. Mm-hmm. So we, we ha- we, the case was dismissed. Thankfully, this person stayed housed, and she was the only person, the head of the household of her daughter and granddaughter. Wow. So that would have been devastating for that family to be evicted. Um, a lot of commercial and, pri- and non-profit organizations have um, 
what's called a tenant selection process. Mm -hmm. We've been looking at some of these throughout the history of Sacramento. Uh, the screening process is pretty tough. I wouldn't be able to get in some of these apartments, right? You got to have perfect credit, uh, no no issues with the law, or, or I mean, it, it's... Was, <laughs> one of my daughters got yeah. uh, UC Santa Cruz. Her first year was on, in the dorms. Mm -hmm. Her second year was in town, and because uh, she had a job very near... Um, and just need to be in town more than on campus, you know, and, and, and the campus is separated from the town by about five miles. And you're right, getting, just co-signing for her, for her apartment, forget how much it was costing, Yeah. Uh, was, uh, I practically had to be a millionaire. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, and, and, and I'm not. <laughs> and it, it was, I, I, I'm, I'm like, I remember going, I had taken her down there and we were looking at various places and, and I came home and told my wife, I said, I don't think she's gonna, gonna qualify uh -huh. to live anywhere. You know, and, and she's a, a college student, you know, who's got a part-time job uh -huh. and is responsible and everything else. And, and it's like, oh, well, who's living in these places? Yeah. It's, it's mind boggling. Yeah. And it's uh, that another root cause of, of homelessness. Uh, we, we have yeah. a very, very tough market uh, that, um, that is discarding certain parts of society, and that's why we're seeing the increase. So, Ramon, you mentioned drugs. And uh, I, I know from uh, Portland's experience, it's, it's huge in the homeless community. Well, it's, it's huge everywhere, and not just in the homeless community, but it's very big in the homeless and can probably be one of the reasons why a person is homeless. Is that correct? Addiction is really the end result and the worst symptom of a lifetime of trauma and, and horrible conditions that, that have created this situation. Um, unfortunately, the, the, the predatorial nature of the drug trade uh, it goes after these very vulnerable individuals. So um, I, I don't think the war, the war on drugs helped. Um, but uh, right now, since everything has been decriminalized, we're seeing a, a higher use of all kinds of drugs, even among uh, youth, right? Um, uh, we're concerned about that. Uh, the Latino Leadership Council, which is one of our public health allies in this coalition, uh, they're targeting uh, young people to, to uh, stop them from using marijuana. The level of THC is so high in marijuana right now it's different than it's, it was it's different yep. and it's creating why is that all kinds of mental health uh, it's synthetically uh -huh. manufactured i guess I, I don't know what the terms are but the thc is so high that uh, teenagers adolescents are becoming more schizophrenic or they have other kinds of mental health issues that would eventually lead to worse problems probably homelessness so so we know that um, the altering of the mind no matter what, whatever uh, substance uh, is affecting uh, the the cognitive skills of individuals, let alone envi other environmental issues, right? We just got a report from the county of Sacramento about lead poisoning. Right. You know, lead poisoning, the lead is absorbed by the body thinking it's calcium, and it stays with you for life. Well, the Where's the lead poisoning coming from? Uh, pipes, the water, uh -huh. uh, in some areas of South Sacramento is coming from the air because of single-engine airplanes that use lead fuel, mm -hmm. like the executive airport, okay. for example. Right. So so those things can also, you know, if you look at an entire ecosystem 
of what people are eating, breathing, uh, experiencing, uh, then of course we have these urban problems. And uh, when you meet people from rural parts of the of the country, there's not as much. Uh, so we definitely need to rethink the urban uh, ecosystem. Uh, another conversation that's in Laudato Si, right, about how we clean up our own environment and, and bring uh, our society back to health. So with with drugs and and you you uh, you hear these terms barrier free or low barrier and that has to do with who who can be in certain uh housing situations um what's the solution there i mean if if you if you say well you know you've got to be clean and sober and et cetera et cetera et cetera you're going to lose a, I, I i read an interview with with a young man from portland who was uh on fentanyl Yes, and said he had an eighty dollar a day habit. We didn't discuss where he's getting eighty dollars a day, but, um, and he said he had gone. And Portland was in the habit of giving people a ticket, a hundred dollar ticket, uh, like a violation for possession. But if you call this phone number to get into rehab, then we waive it. Well, it kind of is irrelevant, but. And his his point was, he said, I went to rehab once. He says, the worst experience of my life. Mm. I never will go to rehab again. I would much rather be on fentanyl. We have that problem where we need humane institutions to take the person as they are and then work towards healing. You can't expect a person to come into a structure or unit being perfect, right? The screening right. process, yeah. because you're never going to get the and worst. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> um, uh, in Sacramento, I think there's a two-year wait list for a rehab program. Uh, so that's that's also an issue of resources and, and what kind of uh, available opportunities there are for pe poor people. Um, but yes, uh, fentanyl and other kinds of synthetic drugs are 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 damaging people permanently and, and so we, there needs to be a public health approach to this problem to create opportunities for rehabilitation um, but it's uh, it's a tough one I, I don't know I, if, if I had the answer <laughs> right we would be in a different place but I we we think that there's definitely um, uh, we need to take the persons where they're where they are uh, and and how they are and figure out how to build a kind of, like Father Greg Boyle says in L.A., kinship, right? right to right. be able to, to figure out how to uh, rebuild a kind of relationship and, and, and have the person care for themselves. Uh, over. And there are people who do that. Yeah. I've met a few. In fact, I'm one of our board members uh, is an experienced uh, addiction uh, person. And... And her story has been compelling for all of us, how she recovered from her substance use. And, and it was heavy stuff. And she was homeless at some point. And she's no longer homeless. She's housed. Uh, and so the, these kinds of things have taught us also about uh, this, this need for human compassion. Logic and accountability alone, we need heart in this. Right. And that's where God comes in, right? Is right. How do we bring heart into the conversation? I also read uh, that San Antonio, I guess... Uh, put a lot of money into a huge facility uh, with uh, it sounds a bit like father joe's villages or something in san diego i don't know if they still exist but um he was he 
he had kind of the whole the whole ball game you know uh, you know job training and everything all under one one roof yeah. and san antonio has done something similar and it has managed to house they say about 90 percent of their homeless population in San Antonio. That's amazing. Which is a big city. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, I I, I I was shaking my head as I was reading it, but it it all seemed to be um, true. Yeah. Um, I mean, a legitimate news source and and they're talking to city officials and stuff. I'd like to go down there and see what they're doing. Absolutely. I I think that you know California being the fifth largest economy in the world, it should be okay with visiting other states that are doing this better than us. Uh, it, the the way we got our solar panels, for example, uh, we got two solar trailers that put out about fifty kilowatt hours mm -hmm. of, of solar energy. Uh, we got those from and you the can just they're on wheels. Move them around. Yeah, we move them around. Well, that's great. But we got those from the state of Louisiana, from a nonprofit there that's making it work for disaster relief purposes. And we called them and said, we have a disaster here. We have homeless people with no electricity or a fan to cool themselves during the heat. And they're like, okay, well, we'll lend you two and see how it goes, and we'll go from there. It's okay. Wow. The, 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 you know, the, I think California should be able to look into best practices like in Portland and other places. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you mentioned mental health, too, mm -hmm. and you hear that a lot. Well, they're, they're, not they're all mentally ill, but, but it's a major thing. They, they don't want to be housed. They don't want, they want to be on the street. They want to, you hear that argument a lot. And, and there is obviously a tremendous number of yeah. mental health among the homeless and among the general population. There's a California organization called the California Children's Trust. They focus particularly on mental health uh, with children and adolescents. They're seeing a 25% increase in every county in the, in the state of mental health conditions for kids and adolescents. And what they're lobbying for is for better intervention programs so we catch them early enough uh, because of the many traumatic or, or, or tough situations that people face. And it's mostly poor people, poor people of color, right. um, who who are facing the situations and the increase has really alerted them to say we need to do something now because by the time they they become adults you're really dealing with a, an advanced stage of, mm -hmm. of all kinds of situations that really come from childhood trauma and so uh, we, if we're gonna start identifying and preventing these problems K through 12 system has have to be integrated with our public health system to figure out how to bring kids back to health or bring the whole family unit back to health uh, because of the different pressures. That, that's one, though, you'll hear people say, you know, about wait lists and stuff. You know, unless you're in a complete crisis, uh, yeah, maybe we can see you in November kind yeah. of thing. You know, and, and uh, young kids kind of scratch their head and go, well, you know, yeah. I, if my car doesn't have gas, I'm going to put gas in it today. Yeah. You know, and yet they're feeling that in their head or, yeah. or in their body. The, there is a, it, it's broken, right? The whole psychiatric beds availability is, it's a mess. Uh, if we had had some sort of intervention for that kid in, 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 uh, in Yolo County and and, uh, and Davis, maybe he wouldn't have had an episode where he was, you know, stabbing people. Right. That's that's, that's um, the most. This was a football captain of his high school team, an honor student. The pi the pictures yeah. you yeah. see of him in high school, out on the football field, it just breaks your heart. Yeah. You know, and 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 you know, not to, 
people say, well, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people have mental health issues. They don't go stabbing people. Well, he did. He did. And yes. I, I don't, I don't think there's any question that he has serious mental health issues. Yeah, I think yeah. it was published recently. Uh, schizophrenia. Yeah. Well, that's the, yeah. that's the. And yeah. of course, right now, even as we speak, uh, there's a trial taking place as to his mental competence to stand trial. Yes. Um, uh, not a trial of the, the crime itself. Yeah. And, um, and this, uh, the, of course, the most horrific situations, right? Um, uh, there are many who, who are not violent, uh, uh, many people who suffer from mental health issues. Uh, but the, the problem remains is how we do proper intervention uh, from K through 12. And, and the kind of intervention that's holistic, where they look at the whole family, not just an individual. Um, uh, again, our public health allies, uh, 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 Latino leadership, her health first. The, they are saying this also as they they case manage through family situations where, if you get the family healthier, if you get them stabilized, uh, then you have a better outcome in the future for their for children's academic performance and you name it, right? And then we don't have, uh, you know, the unhoused out here, uh, untreated. Um, I interviewed a 20-year-old from who graduated from Intercom High School in Natomas, grew up in a middle-class community, but she was living under a tent next to Ruby. Mm-hmm. And when I asked her, you know, a little bit about her story, it's, it's very typical of the sort of trauma that that made her run away from home, right? So these are kinds of things that we really need to look at. Um, but we're also battling against a cultural. Uh, modern culture norms that are probably creating more problems for us than we uh, care to admit, right? Um, I, I went to watch that movie, The Sound of Freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, oof. has <laughs> a, a very t- a tough movie for me to see because I'm from Honduras, and I'm seeing the story about these two kids from Honduras, right? And, and the sort of the, the, the abusive environment that has been created to make money off of mm-hmm. uh, children. That's another horrific outcome of uh, of what's happening in right. modern society. So how do we begin to bring back this conversation where our ecosystems are healthy because we need to do this, this, and this? Uh, and a lot of it has to be protecting families from the get-go. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the other part about kids who are homeless is the sex trafficking, mm-hmm. which is apparently Sacramento's... The hub. The hub. Yes, uh, another topic that <laughs> we're not involved in that conversation, right. but we do know counterparts that are um, uh, safe homes for uh, victims of safe uh, sex tra- trafficking. Uh, there is definitely a, a dem- an alarming situation there that we need to look at to figure out how to protect families, because that's also part of the sort of this um, uh, pervasive uh, situation that that breaks families apart. It, it brings it. It violates the hum- the dignity of all individuals. So we need to figure out uh, all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. And, and but I but I think I what I like about Laudato Si is that it's all encompassing in that message. That it's it's reexamining what's been happening to to our families in modern society, and then the sort of the powerful forces that create a value system that many of us have been. Maybe convinced that it works and and it doesn't. So you get, let's say you get invited to speak to a uh, a high school group, 
and they want you to talk about Laudato Si. Mm -hmm. Probably it wouldn't be in public schools, but maybe maybe it could, it could be. It should mm -hmm. be, but you, I don't know. I'm not I'm not slamming the public schools at all. It's just that the fact that it came from a from a religious figure is going to make it questionable that somebody would, but it shouldn't. But and you're supposed to give them ten minutes of what what they should take from Laudato Si. What mm -hmm. what's in it? You know why should they read it? What would you tell them in ten minutes? Well, I'd have to think about that one. But but what <laughs> more I than ten minutes? More than ten minutes. I'd have to think think for ten days. But I I think that um, the key to Laudato Si is how do we live out this commitment to dignity? I asked this confirmation student at Saint Philomene Parish one day, "What is dignity to you?" Mm -hmm. And he's, he was maybe 10, 12 years old. And he said, self-respect. Mm -hmm. It's like, bingo. Yeah. Bingo. That's what Laudato Si is. If we commit to that self-respect, uh, then we can do the same for others because we want them to be treated the same. Right. We can do the same for, thing for our water, our air, our mountains. Um, planting a tree is a form of self-respect, right? It's, it's, so I would start from there. Uh, if if I had the chance to do that with a bunch of kids, because they have better answers than I do, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, you know, it's yeah. funny because I, I was I was reading a little bit about the award you're going to receive that we talked about earlier, and uh, in addition to the public recognition, we'll award you with a token of our appreciation, a hand painted Saint Francis statue, as well as a gift of fruit trees for planting. Yeah, beautiful stuff. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah. What are you going to do with these fruit trees? Well, uh, we have a project that we're working with uh, another community group here where we're going to do planters uh, and uh -huh. set them up all over town uh, to grow food. Uh, so I think that's what we're going to take them to. You know, I noticed I was in Sebastopol one day mm -hmm. and just, just in the downtown area, and there was a, a planter, and I went, that's a peach tree. And there were three or four peaches on it, and then I went to another street corner, and you know, and they were, they were, they were all over town. I don't, I, I don't know yeah. the story behind them. If it's just somebody just did it, or if it was a city project, or or what. And I thought that's that's so wonderful. Yep. Yeah. yeah I They're think very attractive too. It, it's a it's a uh, food deserts is a real thing here in sure. North and South Sacramento. Sure. Uh, some people have to travel five miles to go to the nearest fresh source of food. Right. Um, so yes, uh, the, having these planters and creating the kind of space where people have um, community gardens to to access food, you know, tomatoes, cucumbers, uh, sure. anything like that would be very useful. So. Uh, um, the, the organization that's going to build the planters are called Made Studios uh, by Hacker Lab. They're here in Oak Park, and we just signed a, an agreement recently to, to help them out with these planters that they want to uh, set up in, in low-income communities throughout town. So I'm Primarily fruit trees? Yes, well, no, food in general. So food I think that, that okay. yeah, their plan is to uh, teach folks how to grow food uh -huh. uh, with these planters, and, and they're going to set them up near... Um, uh, homeless camps, mm -hmm. uh, and, and the idea is that uh, we'll pro we'll provide some of our uh, organizational uh, partners to promote the idea of c creating this in a massive right. way all over town. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a need for that. We need more trees too, so sure. maybe that's. It's, well, it's surprising yeah. how you know fruit trees take a little longer too than yeah. than growing tomatoes or something. But 
it's amazing how a well-tended garden, how much produce it can produce. It's it's yeah. it's a lot. The the I was listening to a program about the efficient ways of growing food out of a, a agricultural school in Honduras. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go visit there in a few days. And they were talking about UC Davis. That, oh, that's yeah, where they're sure. learning it from. Well, UC Davis is uh, they're <laughs> so, the world leader in egg. So, so I'm thinking we need to go to UC Davis oh, yeah. and figure out how to make this work out of here uh, for our communities. I I'm mean, a, they're right there. I'm, I'm an egg. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, I remember that I was a political science major because I was interested in, in, in all that. And yet the two best classes I ever took, and I tell my kids this because they're now college age, four of them are. And I said, the num- number one was beekeeping. Mm-hmm. We had our own hive. And I learned all about bees. Yeah. They're a bunch of communists. They all get a little. <laughs> 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 and, <laughs> we have this joke in, in Saki JC, you know, because we have people come at us with all kinds of ideologies. <laughs> we say, commies kill mommies. No, 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 no. We're kidding. We're just joking. But <laughs> All these bees. The, we love along. the bees. They all have their own their own little jobs, you know. And it's, it's it's very funny, but but it was just it was mind boggling how yeah. how nature works, you know. That that was a fabulous class, and vegetable crops, which was a uh, it was like vegetable crops one. It was sort of a class for non majors. We had our own garden. We raised stuff. I I could identify a hundred different seeds. What? Oh, that's a tomato seed. That's a strawberry yeah. seed. That's a mustard seed. You know, you could identify all the seeds. You you met the people that kind of did. The, that was back in the days of crossbreeding, not genetic engineering. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's where they developed the tomato harvester was at UC yeah. Davis, and it was just so you're getting your hands in the dirt yeah and you're you're growing things and uh those were two great courses you know just for a a non-major yeah but when you when you look at it uh i mean in terms of yeah uc davis is a great resource for for ag yeah that's how it started it was the university farm of berkeley yeah yeah when i was a child in honduras we had mango trees growing all over my elementary school and that was our lunch program. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the school didn't have one. So yeah. we were climbing trees to sure. eat mangoes. And it, it was such a normal thing for me at the time, right? But, sure. yeah, I mean, if we can just do this kind of new way of thinking about the city and how we redevelop it, that would be a beautiful idea. Yeah. yeah. So somebody uh, uh, names you as the czar of the whole this whole everything we're talking about homelessness and everything else the environment and you've got an unlimited budget what do you what do you do what i mean what do you i quit well you quit (laughs) i quit i don't want to be named sar retiring i don't want no i don't want to be named sar Um, that's true that's true uh we have a few of those in the the state director (laughs) um man that's that's uh uh a challenging idea to a question because um, we I, hear we hear it's resources it's this it's that um but i would bring a legion of cpas and attorneys yeah yeah <laughs> to audit all of our resources that are already here billions of dollars into the homeless industry into the public health benefits industry and we, we need to restructure that to actually serve people mm-hmm. uh we, sh- we should have been building houses since 1972. 
and we haven't. And we're not going to be able to catch up to that, which is why we're settling for encampments. Well, it's it's yeah. interesting because I, I, I grew up in a town that was very environmentally conscious, and they got into their heads that building houses was not environmentally sound you know it was like we're taking it we're 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 converting ag land to which, which it's not a false argument but when you look at how much ag land we have and how much land we have even in california that's not yeah not in production that could be um it but it, it was it, part of it was i've got mine and you know i don't want i don't want the town to grow that kind of thing yeah. But but it, it was considered to be environmentally sound to stop the growth, you know, and and now we're learning that it probably that wasn't sound. It, it served the people that had homes, but it sure didn't serve the people that don't have homes. Yeah, um, I, again, this goes back to reimagining society. Uh, my grandfather uh, lived in adobe homes. And they knew how to build them, and they kept them warm during the cold weather, uh, cool during the hot weather. Uh, there's got to be some way to reimagine how we build a home now, to to be resilient against extreme mm -hmm. weather patterns, uh, but also how the city is restructured, right? Um, since COVID, many buildings are not being used anymore, commercial sites, yeah, and an they're sitting yeah. they're sitting empty right you now. You can see, I mean, yeah. it doesn't take long to find them. And they're, some of them are huge. Yep. And so reimagining those buildings for, for dwelling purposes uh, with a green point of view to be able to get the, 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 the oxygen there with, through plants and fruits and you know, all kinds of uh, approaches, I, I think that that would be a way to, uh, to rebuild the city. If we continue on this sort of, um, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, the single agricultural mono, mono, monoculture. I, mm -hmm. I don't know how to, the word is when you just grow one kind of crop right, in right. a field. Uh, we need to diversify our crops, and we need to figure out how to live within that. Uh, I think we have better outcomes. Uh, we're going to protect life, right? We can't be doing what we've been doing for the entire 20th century. It's, it's not doable anymore. And so that requires us to you know think of different ways uh look at japan or or, mm -hmm. or or the needs that china will bring for the whole planet right if they keep building in an industrial way it's not sustainable we, we need to figure out a different way yeah it, it's it, it's interesting i've I've, uh, I've looked at yolo county that i grew up in it used to be tomatoes and sugar beets when i was a kid and now there's not a sugar beet in the county and even though tomatoes are still the number one cash crop, it's now nuts mm. and grapes, yeah. uh, wine grapes, you know. Yeah. And it's 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 interesting to see how that's changed. And it's the world markets that are driving that. I mean, they're, we're producing way more almonds than we. Uh, it's you know, farm to fork's real big in this area. Mm -hmm. Oh yes. But if you lived in North Dakota, farm to fork, you're not going to have much to eat. Yeah. <laughs> A few potatoes maybe. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so much of what we're, you know, it's farm to fork for us, but we're shipping a lot of stuff to yeah. other people. So we're, we're encouraging them to, to, mm -hmm. to not eat local, to eat our stuff. True. I mean, and that's why I'm, I'm going to the mountains of Honduras for a couple of weeks to visit my parents. And the um, USAID is very present in uh -huh. those mountain regions where they bring crops from 
America, right? right. Uh, so many farmers there don't have their own seeds anymore. They grow mm -hmm. their crops from seeds from out of the from country. Uh, so there's definitely, a, a, again, this goes to the whole conversation about um, if we're obsessed about creating customers and clients, I don't know if that's going to work anymore. We yeah. need to figure out how to do more collaborative efforts uh, in sharing the kind of resources and power that's needed to build a healthier ecosystem. I don't know how that would come about, uh, but I definitely need to. We, we would, if we had the resources, we would bring the experts to be able to figure this out and uh, and begin to come up with some pilot projects that would make sense. Um, we don't do this anymore. Where's the research? Where's the development? I mean, that that's that's what we should be doing here in the state capital. We should be leading the research on how to run a city. Uh, and that's not the case. So, so anyway, Herman, uh, it's yeah. <laughs> a, a joy to to talk to you again, and congratulations on this wonderful award. And oh. If you need help planting those fruit trees, give me a call. I will. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, I, I I would love to to talk to you some more about that. I remember when we were kids, uh, we had two apricot trees in the backyard, and you know this big orange apricots, but. My brother and I discovered when they were small and, and green and hard, they made for a great fight. We'd pick them off of there, and my dad would go, what are you doing picking the aprons? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I'm very, very fond of, and, and my, my mom, well, the house I grew up in had a volunteer uh, pomegranate tree just one day somebody spit a seed out and and this thing had pomegranates the size of watermelons nice be just and yeah mom would make 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 the juice and mm -hmm. then make jelly out of it and put that on the chicken and oh man yeah so i'm very fond of fruit trees yeah no yeah. mother nature is our our best engineer oh absolutely we love it indeed. best architect well <laughs> engineer well, yeah, yeah, engineer right. <laughs> mother, yeah mother nature had a father yes there <laughs> you go capital there f go. yeah yeah. yeah, well, Herman, a, a joy, and uh, congratulations on the award. Oh, it's an honor, and, and thank you, and, and the Diocese of Sacramento, really, because that, that's really what's helped us build a platform here for, for many folks to begin to learn about environmental justice, and well, so we're very grateful. God bless you and, and your work, so thanks, yeah. thanks so thank much. Thank you. That's going to do it for us for today, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening. God bless. We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town uh, and throughout the Diocese of Sacramento who have provided underwriting for the Bishop's Hour. Uh, some in the last few years, some uh, have been with us for a very long time. If you would like to be an underwriter for the Bishop's Radio Hour, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to support this mission and also to support the diocese and also uh, to get some uh, recognition for uh, your organization or for your business. The easiest way to do this is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at their thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. 
Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and long-standing support of the Bishop's Hour. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the Mercy Foundation, enriching lives in the Sacramento region through Sisters of Mercy Ministries in Healthcare, Education, Housing, and the Care for the Poor and Elderly. For the Mercy Foundation, philanthropy is one of the most powerful expressions of compassion and love. Just as many people in our community need a hand, countless others are reaching out to them with comfort and hope. You can express your care and concern for the less fortunate with a gift to the Mercy Foundation. Uh, You can give them a call, 916-851-2700. That's 916-851-2700. And you can be confident that fully 100% of your contribution will support the Sisters of of Mercy Ministry or ministries that you choose. And what a wonderful treasure Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts has been for all of us here in the diocese as they uh, uh, transition uh, into uh, uh, new ownership and management. Uh, They continue to offer wonderful workshops, wonderful uh, uh, resources for the Catholic community throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Not only does Easter's provide a wide array of Catholic books, both current releases and longtime classics, but they also sponsor a number of valuable workshops and lectures throughout the year. They're they're located at 6916 Sunrise Boulevard in Citrus Heights. Give them a call, 916-338-7272. We also receive generous underwriting support by Crumley & Associates, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. If you have questions about retirement, Crumley & Associates can help you with their confident retirement approach that can help define a clear roadmap to get you where you want to go. You can uh, contact them, get all the details at Crumley & Associates, 7956 California Avenue in Fair Oaks. They're at 916-638-4600. That's 916-638-4600. Four six zero zero, and we uh, are, are certainly uh, appreciative of the uh, fine and uh, long-standing support of the Mercy Foundation of Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts, 
and of Crumley and Associates. Great. 